Hello and welcome to All Aboard, the UK's first podcast dedicated to transport, data and innovation, brought to you by ODI Leeds. I'm Neil McClure, Head of Transport Innovation at ODI Leeds, and the subject of this episode of the podcast is open data in the bus industry. Here with me today is Tom Forth. Hello, Tom. Hi, Neil. How are you? Yeah, uh, great. Fantastic, actually. Good. Glad to hear it. Tom is a software developer, the founder of Imactivate, as well as being head of data at ODI Leeds and bus open data enthusiast. Thank you for joining us today, Tom. Thanks, yeah. I don't know about enthusiast. Uh, More than that, Neil. (laughs) I love bus data. I love bus open data. So, yeah, I'm thrilled to be on. Thrilled to be the first guest. Great. Well, we're going to start by talking about uh, what we currently have in terms of open data in the bus industry. So uh, do you want to give us a bit of an overview um, of some of the data sets that are out there? What do we currently have? What's the setup? Oh, wow. Right. Bus open data. I was about to say UK bus open data, but Northern Ireland does its own thing in in a lot of ways on uh, the bus industry. So let's just stick to Britain. One, One of the best data sets we have on open data for buses is we have every single bus stop in the UK is an open data set. It's called NAPTAN. You can download it from the Department for Transport. It's updated really frequently. It's brilliant. It's a great data set. Another thing that we have is all of the timetables for all bus journeys and coach journeys right across Britain. That's available from Travel Line. So if you just search for Travel Line, open data, you can download all of them. It's in this format called TransExchange, which is quite hard to work with, but there's some help to use it online. And increasingly what we have in Bus Open Data at the minute is APIs. So some places will have real-time bus APIs. They're the kind of things that power like those um, next buses that you might get at a bus stop where you see a countdown timer. Often in big cities, that, that data is going to be available to you uh, via an API. So uh, Transport for London have an API for that. Transport for the West Midlands have an API for that. And then if you want to get all of these different APIs in one place, there is a company called Transport API. They will give you like a look of as many places as have that data for the whole of Britain. So that's a good place to get that. That's your main, your main really useful open data uh, about buses. The Bus Services Act is a piece of regulation that is coming up, Tom. Um, Wowzers. We- Wowzers. We at the ODI Leeds um, have been involved um, with working with the Department for Transport um, in some of their, in various stages really, um, in their work of engaging with the market to to define um, some of that legislation. Yeah. Give us a bit of an overview of how the Bus Services Act is going to change some of the the things you just mentioned with regards to the the, the status of open yeah. data in the bus industry. Right. So the first thing to say is uh, we don't know exactly what the Bus Services Act will be in detail yet. So uh, this could be wrong. What I tell you now could be wrong, but this is my hope. Bus Services Act does two things. One is it requires even more open data than we have now. So I've already said we've got like data on all the bus stops and where they are. And we've got data on all the timetables and when all the buses move. And part of the Bus Services Act should mean that we get data on all of the fares. So 
at the moment, most of the UK, uh, most of Britain, certainly, you don't know how much your bus, a bus journey is going to cost. You can't get that via an app or anything clever like that. So by getting fares data to be open data, we might improve on that. The second thing that the Bus Services Act will hopefully do is allow franchising. So at the minute, in Britain, only London has bus franchising. And what that means is that you have like a single colour of bus, a single way of paying, uh, a single fare. Things all work together really well. Nowhere else has that because it's not allowed under the current Transport Act. And the Bus Services Act will almost certainly say that Cities with a metro mayor, so at the minute that's places like Bristol, Birmingham, Greater Manchester, a few other places, but those are your three big big city places. Oh, and Liverpool as well. That's your fourth big city place with a metro mayor. They should be able to, if they want, franchise buses exactly the same as, as happens in London. So you could well see pretty soon equivalents of an Oyster card that work really well in those places. So that's your two big things of the Bus Services Act. I'm going to tackle both of those things independently. I'll go back to the first you mentioned, which yeah. is bus fares. So um, if I was to do a journey planning search now as a punter, as a customer, yeah. thinking about getting a bus, I may go on some some websites, some operator websites, and I might be able to find a fare for my, for my journey. Yeah. Are you saying that at the minute, that's not consistent and that's not well spread in terms of that availability of information across operators and and how specifically is the act going to going to change that right so i mean if i at odi leads we look out over that that bus station that's just outside and there's probably at least five companies with buses coming in and out of there and sometimes those buses will go to the same place sometimes they're competing on routes if i let's say i download the Ariva app Ariva's got a very nice bus app. If I download that app, it's going to tell me lots of stuff that I want to see, like when my bus is coming. I can even buy tickets on that app. It won't tell me what another company is going to charge me for a ticket. It's not going to tell me even sometimes what that company's timetables are going to be. So it's going to really encourage me to stay in Ariva's world. Now, once we've got open data on fares someone else, an independent third party, whether that's a a local transport authority. So here in Leeds, that's like West Yorkshire Combined Authority or West Yorkshire Metro, people might call it. In Birmingham, that would be Transport for the West Midlands. They could write an app that gave you the fares data for every operator and let you pick the best option. I think also you could have a company like, let's say, CityMapper. CityMapper, they have bus timetables and bus suggestions for cities like Manchester and Birmingham, at the minute they can't tell you how much the ticket's going to cost. Once fair data is open, they could tell you how much it's going to cost. They might even, if the bus companies decide to play along, you might even be able to buy a bus ticket from within City Mapper. This is all made easier by the open data requirement in the Bus Services Act. You made a key point there about if bus operators play along. And sometimes a criticism that's been leveled at bus operators uh, yeah. is with regards to open data is they may not uh play along i've been known to make that criticism neil okay you know you're probably not you're not on your own you're yeah, not on your own I, i've been um, known to moan do, about it yeah. do you 
Do you do you understand their concerns and 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 where they're coming from? Absolutely. If you're running a bus company, the worst thing that can happen is that you go out of business and you can't run any buses. The most important thing for a bus company is to be able to keep on running buses. So, uh, of course, they need to have a business model and commercials and revenue and all that kind of thing. That means they can keep running buses. So the problems that we have at the moment are not because the bus companies are evil or bad. It's because the system encourages them to operate in a way that they do. Of course, an Arriva bus doesn't want to tell you that it's cheaper to take one of their competitors. That would be a ridiculous thing for a company to do, so they're not going to do it. The Bus Services Act, and especially the second bit of it with franchising, that might let a neutral third party, someone like Transport for London, Transport for West Midlands, Transport for Greater Manchester, it should let them step in and say, we're going to regulate this system and you have to charge the same price as your competitors and you have to advertise all the buses of everyone or else you're not allowed to run a bus. That's that's the way we fix it. So you've moved us on nicely into that second important bit of the act for you in franchising. Is is that your that's your ideal world situation then, Tom, that you've just laid out there, that those local authorities have that have those powers in that local region city region area to um take those steps to intervene in, in, in the yeah. market so in those ways. I think it's essential that they have the power. So what happened recently, it's a few years ago now, in Newcastle, they wanted to... So Nexus, who run the transport system in Newcastle, Sunderland, surrounding areas, they wanted to introduce franchise buses like in London, and they went through a massively expensive, complex process, and at the end of it, it was decided that their bid to do it didn't meet some national law requirements to do it and and the system still doesn't work very well there now if they get new powers that let them force that through it's fantastic they can force it through but once they have the powers what's quite interesting is as soon as you have the power you might not actually need to use it so once you can threaten an operator with franchising the operators might change their mind about how well they're going to work together. So we have seen that in certain parts of the country already. Um, Nottingham might be one of the best examples of it, where bus operators do kind of work together quite well. It can happen. And they can offer quite compelling products to people who want to travel. There's a, there's a better smart card in Nottingham than a lot of other places have managed. You, you can make progress Without franchising, you don't have the stick that you need as a city to uh, beat up the current operators and force them to work together better. So uh, I think franchising is really good. I think everyone who's taken a bus in London and compared it to taking a bus in Leeds knows that franchising is really, really good. Uh, You can get a lot of the benefits of franchising without doing the franchising but just having that there as a threat to the existing operators to force them to work together. And in many ways, that could be the biggest win. We might get, we might end up with a situation. I know that Man- Manchester have said they're going to do franchising, so we'll see whether they do it. But you could end up with a situation where the greatest success of franchising ends up with no franchises. It wasn't necessary. Just the risk of, of it happening was enough to make the operators work better. There is there is another model, 
and that is the model that is in place in Reading, where there's a municipal operator. Now, any of the um, case studies, uh, citations, examples that we've seen of Reading show um, almost almost unique uh, performance uh, and patronage graphs uh, and all that sort of stuff in. Uh, I suppose you'd sort of call it a, a tier two town in England, really similar to some of the some of the towns you mentioned, Leeds and Nottingham, and similar sort of size to those. Um, so th- there is there is that model. Um, is that does that model work? Yeah. And would that model work across the country? Yeah. Sorry to all my friends in Reading, but I think it's a bit smaller than Leeds, really. Uh, a bit smaller than Nottingham, probably. But I mean, it's a decent sized place, and I think Edinburgh would be another example of that. I think Nottingham yep. might even be where one of their bus operators is still owned by the city or arm's length owned by the city. So one of the things that happened was in the 80s, Transport Act came in mid 80s. It said you, you need to, it said to cities, you need to privatize your buses. They started privatizing them. Some of them kind of held on. And what's uh, a bit embarrassing for fans of privatisation is that they've done quite well. So Reading, Nottingham and Edinburgh have really bucked this trend of falling passenger use. I think that's why a lot of people are really keen on municipal ownership of buses. Now, I've got nothing against municipal ownership of buses. The worry that I have about it is that I don't think uh, elected councillors are very good at running buses. They're good at being elected councillors, not bus fleet managers so there's always this temptation with municipal ownership that the councillor will try and run a bus and uh, that's probably not a great idea so if you have municipal ownership it needs to be quite hands-off at a a distance i think that's how reading buses works actually so i've got nothing against it i just think you can get all of the same benefits through franchising so transport for london in london they don't own a bus company all of all the buses in London, they all look the same. They're all red buses. They all take the same fare. But it's big companies that are running running those buses. So I think you can get most of the benefits of municipal ownership without the risks of municipal ownership by uh, just having franchises. Well, Tom, we will wait to see with the consultation process for the secondary legislation of the Bus Services Act. We'll wait to see if your dreams come true, Tom. And uh, Let's you, see. I you mean, get I hope what you so. want. Yeah, I just want I just want the buses to work better, Neil. That's all. That's all we want. Um, so I'm going to move us on to our second topic, which is a specific project uh, that I know you've been working on, Tom, which has been creating a new data set, which is called oh, Real, yes. Real Journey Times. Um, it's something you've been working on in the West Midlands area. Um, I've got a brief description of Real Journey Times for those of our listeners who haven't Let's heard of it before. Let's see if I recognise this so description. See if you, you recognise this. So Real, Real Journey Time is a new data set that helps passengers. It's a new perspective on bus passenger journey time and delay, a way to understand how long passengers might really allow for a journey and any expected delay compared with the timetable. That sounds about right. I think that's, that sounds pretty good to me. So it's a project you've been working on. Um, tell us a little bit about it, what you've done, and what you're hoping to do with it. Uh, yes. So uh, I mentioned right at the start, I said that there's there's APIs that let you track buses, that, that tell you like the countdown timers at bus stops. So we look at hundreds and hundreds of bus stops in the West Midlands. Uh, Coventry, Walsall, Birmingham, Wolverhampton, Dudley, places like that. We look at all of those bus stop countdown timers and we just save all of the information throughout the day that comes through them. 
that lets us track hundreds and hundreds of buses throughout the day. And it means that we can see how long they really take to get places. And I think anyone who takes the bus knows that on a Sunday morning, you can get somewhere really easily and your bus will turn up on time and it will take you to where you want to go in the time that the timetable says. And then it's brilliant. But then when it comes to Monday morning and you need to get to work for a nine o'clock meeting or you need to get uh, home to pick your kids up from school at half past three, you can't trust the bus anymore. Either it will come to the stop late or maybe it comes to the stop at the right time, but then the journey takes twice as long as it should do. So we know that that's caused by congestion. Everyone who's taken a bus knows it, but we don't really have a lot of data on on how long the journeys are taking in addition to the time sale time. So we calculate it. We do all of the data collection. We calculate the journeys. And we're seeing some really, really interesting things. Early results at the minute, but some fascinating stuff. You know, some key routes into and out of Birmingham are taking you twice as long, 40 minutes instead of 20 minutes, to get into Birmingham in the morning and out of Birmingham in the afternoon and the evening. I think a second thing that we've seen that's, that was not expected was that on half-terms and school holidays, the congestion to get out of the city in the afternoon and the evening is, is quite significantly reduced. So we hadn't necessarily expected that, but it does seem that parents driving kids to school, probably, or leaving work early because they've got to pick up kids or they've got to be home for kids to get home to, whatever it is, we don't know the, the reasons exactly yet, but that's causing a massive amount of congestion in, in Birmingham and Wolverhampton. Uh, those have been two, two of the big early things. We've also been able to see, because we can look at very small parts of journeys, we can see whether on a particular long route, if there's any small area that's really causing congestion. And we would hope to use that information to introduce bus lanes or traffic lights that let buses through quicker or road upgrades, that kind of thing. One of the criticisms that's been levelled at bus operators and the bus industry uh, by some definitely by you, definitely by me, is um, uh, about a lack of uh, high-quality information. We spoke about this before, about the uh, the open data um, yeah. uh, that's that's made available by, by bus operators. Um, the industry and a lot of operators and, and third parties have um, invested quite significantly recently on, on uh, real-time information, RTI. There's some standards out there, and Siri is a common sort of format that's used. Um, a lot of investment made on disruptions. Um, and and the customer use case of that is um, tell me when my bus is arriving. Um, so helping to move away from a dependence upon hard-to-read timetables to just um, next bus type, type yeah. stuff. Th- this sounds interesting because it's going to tell customers not just when your next bus is coming to, to your stop or wherever you are, but actually, as you say, helping you get to work for nine o'clock or get to that job interview or pick up the kids or get home or whatever it is. Um, so we'll help people plan their journeys better. Are there other sort of um, other applications of this data that you think you can you can foresee or, or different kind of uses that this data could, could be uh, used for? Yeah, so 
all of this extra information, I think passengers on buses today have more information than they've ever had before. And a lot of that is powered by open data. Uh, increasingly, it is powered by that. So you get to a bus stop and you know when the next bus is. That That's something that didn't exist 20 years ago. It, it didn't exist very well 10 years ago. Uh, some people would suggest that in Leeds it doesn't exist particularly well now, but I'm confident that it will do soon. Uh, so all this stuff is good. What What's quite interesting about it, though, is that it hasn't actually stopped the number of people taking buses from falling. And I think that's quite worrying for the bus industry. It's worrying for uh, a lot of people who are trying to get more people to use to use the bus, stop using the car to drive everywhere, stop causing congestion and pollution in cities and get on the bus. So uh, I think that's a worry with open data. What are the possibilities? I mean, there's some, there are some exciting things that could happen. People are talking a lot about mobility as a service. I'm not sure about that, uh, except for these on-demand bicycles. I think that's that's something that, with real-time information, could be a very, very interesting new thing. So I, I think in this world of new open data, real journey times, if you got to the bus stop and it said, it's going to take you 50 minutes to get home today. I'm sorry about that. It's usually 20 minutes, but someone's uh, had a crash. The main road's closed. The bus is on a diversion and there's bad congestion. But there's a bike you can hire for a quid next to the bus stop. How's about you take that? You'll get home in half an hour. I think that that could really push people to make different decisions and be a bit more adaptive about how they get places in cities. I think that's one of the most exciting things. A lot of a lot of the new innovations in transport have not had a massive positive influence. And I think that the the bicycle one is is very much the exception to that. I see it's hu- hugely uh, just hugely rewarding. It's people people really like it. People use use the bikes to get everywhere. And if you could integrate that with buses, it's just another way that you can live your life. Maybe as a family with one car instead of two cars, or maybe uh, as as a young young family or a young couple with no car instead of one car, and that would really help everything in our cities. That's the dream. Not sure it's going to happen, but that's well, the dream. Well, we're 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 back we're back there to that uh, the point you mentioned before about franchising, isn't it? And who has. Um, who brings that data together? Who integrates yeah, yeah. those services together? Because um, Arriva can, aren't going to tell you. Arriva aren't going to tell you to get a bike. Yeah. Um, so so who is? Uh, and, and and I guess that's the question. And 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 whoever answers that question is going to need to be reliant upon um, data in a, in the same sort of quality and standard from both bus operators and from those cycle um, yeah. companies. And if the cycle companies don't release their data, if you can't see. As a as an independent third party, where there's a bike that you can hire and how much it'll cost and how how far you can go, if you can't see that when you're looking for a bus, then we aren't going to get the integration that we need. So if we want this stuff to be integrated, which I think everyone looking at it from the outside wants it all to work together, it has to be open data so that some neutral third party can offer you all of the solutions altogether. There is an example of that. I saw this. I was quite amazed by it, but the Uber app will suggest 
bike rides for you now. I think they've got a partnership with some in some cities, some bike sharing services. That's that's the kind of example that bus companies need to be jumping in on. Obviously, Uber don't think that it's a threat to their taxi model. Bus companies shouldn't think it's a threat to their bus model because the competitor is owning a car and driving it everywhere. They need to they need to realise that that um even if you don't take the bus every day, you're more likely to take the bus sometimes and it's good for their business model. I think you're giving us some great ideas for future podcast episode titles, Tom. So Well uh, I'm you know, I'm here to help. <laughs> um thank you very much for your input into the discussion today. Thank you very much for your ideas. Um thanks to those of you for listening and this was the first episode of All Aboard. All Aboard is an ODI Leeds production, hosted by Neil McClure, edited by Stuart Lowe, music credit to Larta. If you want to continue the conversation, or if you have suggestions for future topics, you can get in touch with us on Twitter using at ODI Leeds and the hashtag All Aboard. All Aboard.